0: that we have a, as Mark said, a God who has it all together when we don't, right? Uh, I wasn't, you know, who has plans that, that even when our plans don't quite work out. I wasn't planning on waking up at 725 this morning knowing I needed to be out of the house at 730. <laughs> okay, that wasn't my plan last night. Uh, I didn't plan on not turning my alarm clock on, okay? Uh, we don't plan for things a lot of times. We have certain plans and things don't quite work out, but God's plans, isn't it good to know that God never misses his alarm clock? God never messes up. God's perfect. He reigns. He's sovereign. He's in total control, and there's no question about that. The Bible teaches it clearly. We've sung about that this morning, clearly in the songs we've sang. But all those songs, every single one of them, one of them was straight from Isaiah 30. Um, that uh, video right there was straight from Psalm uh, 2, the second psalm. That, these things that we've been singing about are straight out of God's Word. So before there was time, God already had everything planned out perfectly. And so he does reign, and that's our focus as we study through the book of Acts. We are in our second week going through this series, going through the book of Acts. Last week we looked at Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 11, and today we're going to pick it up right where we left off, (laughs) Acts chapter 1 verse 12. So you can go ahead and turn there if you want to. I'll read the passage of scripture here in a second. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning and you like one, then we can go get one. We've got extra Bibles in the back, so please just raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. Matter of fact, you can keep it, all right? And uh, we'll get you a Bible this morning. If you don't have your Bible this morning, you just prefer to read along on the screen. I'll be putting it on the screen as well here in a second. But we are in this series called He Reigns, and if you remember last week uh, in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, you remember the story? It picks up right where Luke had left off in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke and Acts are really one work in two volumes. Luke is a historian, and he has this two-volume set of the life of Christ and the Acts of the Apostles. And so uh, Acts just picks up right where Luke li- leaves off. And Jesus has, has risen. He's appeared to his disciples and has appeared to a bunch of people. And now he, he promises them that he's going to send them the Holy Spirit so they'd have power to do the Acts 1-8 mission. And Acts 1-8 says this... But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so he makes them this promise. And, and then, you know, they're, they're not quite sure what's going to happen. Is Jesus going to set up his kingdom now? But he, he floats off into the sky called the Ascension. He ascends back to the Father. It's a pretty stunning event. They're sitting there staring into the sky. Two angels appear to them, kind of get their attention say, Hey, guys, he's coming back the same way he went. Okay, telling them. Don't keep looking into the sky. I know he's coming back that way, and so our temptation would be to keep looking to the sky. But he's coming back, and he's giving you a mission. And so now they go off to do the mission, and we pick it up right here in Acts chapter 1, verse 12. So let's go ahead and read it starting in verse 12. The Word of God says Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted with his share in this ministry. Now this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Hakeldama, which, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let, there be, let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we begin to look into this passage of scripture this morning, we pray that you would just open our hearts and open our minds, God, we cannot come to a church service with our with the ability to open our own minds and our own ears to your word, because that's a spiritual thing, and spiritual things are only spiritually discerned, which means we need your Holy Spirit to work inside of us. And so, God, we may come with lots of hang-ups and issues this morning. We may be coming here with frustrations in our heart and and anger or, or simply just something has happened that is distracting us terribly this morning. So, God, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, cause all those things to fade into the background and that you'd bring your word to the foreground and open up our blind eyes and open up our deaf ears that we might see and hear and perceive and not only that but to live by and respond to the word that you want to teach us this morning. We pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. Now this passage of scripture that we just read this morning seems to be a bit of a parenthesis, because you have in in, in the first 11 verses that we read last week, you have this promise uh, that God was going to send uh, the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1-4 it says, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. So you have this promise that God's going to send the Holy Spirit so they can carry out the Acts 1-8 mission. And then in Acts chapter 2, which we'll get to next week, you have the coming of the Holy Spirit. You have the promise coming. God sends His own Spirit to reside within the hearts of His people so that they can carry out the mission. Because it's clear from Scripture that without the Holy Spirit, we don't have the power to do what God tells us to do. And so you've got the promise. You've got the fulfillment of the promise next week. And so then you've got today. Well, you've got this little parenthetical section here. So why is this here? Well, there's no mistakes in Scripture. And what is God trying to teach us in this little... Somewhat gory and gruesome section of Scripture that we just read. So let's explore it this morning. And I've entitled today's message, Waiting on a Sovereign God. Waiting on a Sovereign God. And the first thing I want us to see is that the means for waiting on God to carry out His promises is diligent, urgent prayer. The means for waiting on God to carry out His promises is diligent, urgent prayer. Prayer. The first thing you notice that these disciples, not only the disciples, but also some others that were with them, the, the, some other uh, people that were following Jesus, including some ladies and, and Jesus' uh, uh, mother and brothers, the first thing you see them do is that they go to the upper room. And by the way, this upper room was probably the same upper room where Jesus had the, the Lord's Supper, the, the, uh, the his final meal with his disciples, and, and also the upper room where they hid after Jesus. Jesus had been crucified. So it's the upper room. This has become an important place for them to gather. And so there's this group of believers that, that are all these people, including Jesus' brothers and maybe even his sisters, because we know from Scripture he also had, had sisters. But definitely the apostles that were remaining and his mother and ladies who had been on this journey with Jesus, they're all gathered there. Why are they gathered? What are they doing? Well, verse 14 says this. It says, "...with one accord..." We're devoting themselves to prayer. With one accord, we're devoting themselves to prayer. What I want us to notice this morning is that the disciples were not idle. Jesus had said, hey, wait. I've got a mission for you, but wait until the Holy Spirit comes. To the power, my own power to carry out the mission comes. Go wait. And the disciples don't just go and go back up to the upper room and sit there and twiddle their thumbs and say, well... When is this going to happen? They weren't idle. They realized when you're waiting for a promise of God, you've got to be about the business of prayer. That's what waiting for God is all about. The Bible is filled, including in that um, that video we just watched, which is based on Psalm 2. The Bible is filled with references of God's people waiting for Him. Waiting for God. And it's always, always, always attached to Crying out to God, pleading to God, urgently falling before God. Because waiting for God is the same thing as praying for God. Waiting for God always involves crying out to God. Psalm 69 verses 1 through 3. Psalm 69 is actually a psalm that Peter will quote in this passage a little bit later. Psalm 69 verses 1 through 3 says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. So it's crying out to God in the midst of life's difficulties, challenges, circumstances, things we can't quite explain. Crying out to God, pleading to God as we wait for Him to do what He's going to do. Waiting always involves praying. And it says they were devoted to prayer meaning they were being earnest towards prayer, they were passionate about prayer, they were persevering in prayer, or they were constantly and diligently adhering to prayer. The, the Word actually has a, has a pictorial image of a, of a servant um, being devoted to his master, and he's always there. He's like right beside the servant and right beside the master saying, what do you need? What do you need? What can I do for you? How can I serve you? And that's what, when we say we're being devoted to prayer, that's the image that God wants us to have, that we're always involved in prayer, that prayer is something we're always doing, they're always ready to come before God as we wait for him. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.17 which says pray without ceasing. It's Colossians 4.12 which says continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. It's Ephesians 6.18 which says pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplications. To that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for the saints. It's Luke eighteen one, where Jesus Uh, had told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not to lose heart. It's Matthew 7, 7, which says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. This is what waiting on the Lord is all about. is coming to God, coming to God, pleading to God, praying to God, as you wait to see what it is He is going to do in His sovereign plan. It's an active thing, not a passive thing. I think sometimes we think, well, I, I always tell my kids that God basically gives us three answers to prayer. Yes, no, and wait. It's kind of the, the three answers God gives us, you know, and that kind of that's kind of making it awful simplistic. But that's kind of the three answers that, that God gives us. And when he does tell us to wait, it's usually because we haven't heard yes or no, okay? When we're having to wait, our job isn't to just be idle and say, oh, well, God's not answering my prayer, I guess. I don't know what to do. God hasn't hasn't given me a job like I've been praying for. God hasn't done this like I've been praying for. I just don't know what to do. I've done everything I can do. That's not the image of waiting on God. The image of waiting on God is, you know what, I don't know God's answer yet. He hasn't provided a solution yet. He hasn't dealt with that circumstance in my life yet. But you know what? I am daily and constantly on my face before God praying because I know that the wait on him means to pray to him and to talk to him and always be before him constantly crying out, as the Bible tells me to be doing. These disciples, I want you to notice their situation, okay? Think about it. Okay, it's a little bit confusing here. They've, this has been, a, it's been an interesting week for them. Okay, first of all, Jesus is, is crucified, which was just, it was just had to be the most horrible thing that could have ever happened to them. They were terrified after that. Then they hear this news that he's risen. Most, some of them didn't believe it. Then he appears to them. This is kind of a confusing thing. For the next 40 days, he's, he appears to them. I should say it hasn't been a confusing week. It's been a confusing couple of months. And he's appearing to them. And even when he appears to them to give them their mission, their question is, hey, are you going to set up the earthly kingdom now? And he's like, you know, that's not for you to worry about the times or the seasons when that's going to happen. You go be my witnesses. And this has to be a bit confusing to them because they just don't quite understand what else going on here. They and to, to be his witnesses, and not only that, to be his witnesses in the whole entire planet, by the way. <laughs> You're to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And they don't quite understand this Holy Spirit power thing. I mean, I mean they know what the Holy Spirit is. They've, they've read the Old Testament, and they, they know that the Holy Spirit was with Jesus, but they don't quite understand the infilling of the Holy Spirit. By the way, let me take a little parenthesis here to correct something. Last week I said that in the New Testament, the only person that said to be filled with the Holy Spirit in the Gospels was Jesus. Uh, I was wrong. Let me tell you that. I, I always like to correct myself when I'm wrong because it's just, it's, you got to do it. I was wrong. The Bible actually speaks of in Luke, uh, a couple of passages in Luke that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was in the womb. And so, um, what I should have said was that Jesus is filling with the Holy Spirit was a permanent residing with the Spirit, which he already had because he's part of the Trinity. And that residing of the Holy Spirit in our heart doesn't happen until Pentecost. Okay. But God was upon people with his spirit in various ways in the Gospels. So let me just correct my mistake from last week. So that's on record, all right? And if I ever make a mistake in a sermon, guys, feel free to come talk to me about it, all right? Feel free to come share, ask me, say, hey, you know what? I don't didn't quite get that or, or I'm not sure that's quite right. And, you know, I'll either tell you you're wrong or I'll correct myself, all right? So it's, it's really that easy. But anyway, that's, I'm way off track now. So they don't quite understand this filling of the Holy Spirit. They don't quite all understand what's going on, but they're excited because Jesus is alive. They're somewhat perplexed because he just floated off into the clouds, and it's just this kind of mix of emotions, and now here they are waiting. And I think sometimes our situation, even here at Harbin's, okay, we've got this building, and we're excited. There's a building out there. It's going up, and and we're excited about this, but then just church life, there's challenges, there's relational challenges, there's interpersonal challenges, there's things that go on. And, and so there's, you know, we're, we're excited, but at the same time we're frustrated or whatever else. And you know what? That's just life. Life will always be that way. Everything's not going to be rolling perfectly. It's never going to be perfect. And so we should always have this spirit of prayer, being willing to come to God and actively pray and wait on Him. And notice they were doing it in one accord in one accord. Now, I imagine there's 120 people in the room. Okay, I can't get 12 people in a room and have them agree on everything. All right? There are 120 people in the room, and they probably had different opinions of what they should do while they're waiting. I'm just guessing. I'm just there's no no indication here I mean, I'm sure that some of them said, you know, Peter's probably thinking, you know, hey, let's do something. We've got to do something. We've got to get out of this room. I'm getting, getting cabin fever here. You know, Mary might be a little bit more passive. Said, Peter, just calm down. I don't know. I'm just reading into the story here. I don't know what's going on, but I do know this, that when it comes down to it, they all are in one accord about one thing, which is to pray. We've got to wait for this power that Jesus has promised us so that we can carry out the mission, and we've got to be about prayer. And you know what? In a church setting like ours, we're not going to agree on everything. And there's going to be people who think we need to be doing this outreach, or we shouldn't be doing this, or we should have this leadership structure, or we should have this. You know what? We're never going to agree on everything. And no matter how big we get, we're never going to agree on everything. But one thing we can always do, and that is in one accord, be praying. And in one accord, be falling on our faces before God as we wait to see what He's going to do. And in one accord, be going before Him. I'm excited because this afternoon... Liz has kind of called a prayer meeting for as many who can come and go to Deemer's house and pray this afternoon. And that's a great thing because that's something we can do in one accord. Okay? We can have differences of opinion on on whether or not, you know, we should have 80 chairs set up or 100 chairs set up. Or we should use electric guitars or we should just go back and buy ourselves an organ or whatever. We can disagree. We can have a discussion. But one thing we cannot disagree on and that is that God's people have got to be praying as we wait for him to do what he's going to do in his timing. That we cannot disagree on. So they're in one accord, and they're praying. Okay, And and as Hebrews 4.16 says, one of my favorite verses, it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, you may not know this, but that help in time of need could actually be translated differently. Matter of fact, the Holman Christian Standard Bible version, whatever it is, They translate it a little bit closer to the way I think it should be, and that is that word can actually be translated our well-timed need. Instead of just our time of need, our well-timed need. In other words, God is in charge of the timing of your needs in your life, and God puts well-timed needs into your life, something that's happening, and it's his perfect timing so that he can accomplish something in your life and so that you'll be about the task of praying, And coming before His throne of grace with confidence. So what are we to do as we wait upon God's promises? We are to diligently and urgently pray. Okay, We don't doubt the promises. We hit the deck and start praying. We don't doubt the promises. Now I want us to see in the rest of this passage something about God and about His promises that make waiting possible. And that gives us peace as we wait. Now, I want us to see something in the rest of this passage. Peter here, who is emerging as the leader of the apostles, he rises up and he begins to have them act based upon two truths about God and his promises. So while we are waiting, we must trust and act upon these two things that I'm about to talk about. While we are waiting or while we wait, we must trust and act upon, first of all, See if y'all can get it up back there. First of all, number one, the infallibility of God's word. The infallibility of God's word. Now, I need a couple help from a couple of kids this morning. I've got a couple of envelopes I need y'all just to hang on to. So one right back here, Garrett. Hang on to that. It says promise on it. And this one says promise on it. And uh, let's see here. Let's get a girl. Sorry, Preston, here. Um, I want to be fair. Okay, y'all hang on to those. Don't do anything with those, okay? But basically, that's just to symbolize a promise. That's an envelope with a piece of paper in it, like a letter. When someone makes a promise to you, okay, maybe you write a letter to someone and you promise, I'm coming for Christmas or whatever. And so we give someone our word. And God has given us his word. It's right here. It's called the Bible. This is God's promises. And uh, he's given it to us. This is God's love letter for us. And so you both have a letter, okay, that symbolizes promises, promises that can be made. Now, y'all hang on to that. I'll come back to it in a second. Okay, just hang on to it. Don't do anything with it. Just, Just pay attention for the next few minutes, and we'll come back to it, all right? I want you to read what Peter says. He says, brothers, in verse 16, the Scripture, what did he say, had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. The Scripture had to be fulfilled. Okay, by the, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Now, why did the Scripture have to be fulfilled? Okay, I read one commentator who said, Well, the reason Peter said it had to be fulfilled was because they had to have 12 apostles. You can't go out and witness to Jews with the number 11, but you can go out and witness to Jews with the number 12. Okay, so that was very important, and that's true. But the word that Peter uses when he says, Had to be fulfilled is a Greek word that's usually only used when it's talking about God's design or God's purposes. So in other words, it could be translated this. Brothers, the Scripture, by God's design, had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. In other words, guys, God spoke it, and therefore it's got to happen. God said something, therefore it's going to come true. Because God keeps His promises. So I want us to see here in these next few verses, a very clear pattern. You can see it. you don't have to have a, a Bible degree to see the, 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 this pattern here. Okay, there's two passages of Scripture that Peter will mention. He'll mention Psalm 69:25, and he'll also mention Psalm 109 verse eight. Now before he mentions Psalm 69:25, he talks about, which, which says this, okay? Psalm 69 25 says, May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. Now, before he mentions that passage, Luke gives us the fulfillment of that passage, which is that Judas, uh, this rather gruesome story about Judas, which, by the way, if you read Matthew 27, uh, starting in verse 5, you'll read the story of Judas hanging himself. It doesn't contradict this story at all. Some people think, wait a second. Matthew says that Luke hung himself. Luke, I mean Luke, did I say Luke? Matthew says that Judas hung himself. Luke says that Judas burst open. Well, verse 18 here where it says he's falling headlong, that that word can also mean swelling up. So there's a couple of different scenarios here. Maybe Judas hung himself over a cliff. The rope broke or whatever and he fell and we have the gory details. Or maybe he just began to decompose over the past 40 days and he burst open and swelled up and however you want to I'll let you get whatever picture you want in your mind regarding that but it's pretty gross and I think part of the reason God gives us the gory details is to show the devastating effects of betraying God the devastating effects of those who reject God so I think that's part of the reason we have the gory details about Judas in here but anyway Luke gives us this fulfillment of the prophecy by telling us what happened to Judas before Peter reads the verse. And then Peter reads another verse, which is um, Psalm 109.8, which says, Let another take his office. And then the rest of the passage is the fulfillment of that verse. So you have fulfillment, the verse that was fulfilled, the next verse that's going to be fulfilled, and then the rest of the passage is the fulfillment of that verse, where someone is taking Judas's office. Okay? So, I also want you to notice verse 22. Look at verse 22 real quick. Verse 22 says this when they're talking about filling Judas's office. He says, one of these men, after he talks about you know, where they need to have come from and everything, he says, one of these men must become with us a witness. Again, the word must become, the verb is the exact same verb that we used earlier when we said the Scriptures had to be fulfilled. So, you, again, you could translate it this way. One of these men, by God's design, must become with us a witness. So God, in other words, again, God's promises are going to come true. So one of these people has to become an apostle. We have to fill Judas's place because God's word is true and it's going to happen. And so we see here that Peter had a tremendous view of the infallibility of God's word. That God's word does happen. It will take place. And we also see sort of a twofold nature here. There's a, there's a sense that, the way Peter's looking at this, that the Bible has already come to pass, that Scripture's already come to pass, and some of it is coming to pass. And it's the same thing with us, okay? The Bible has, God has kept His promises in the past. We've seen God keep His promises, but we also know there are promises yet to be fulfilled, and so it's still coming to pass. The Bible says, Jesus said that the gospel will be preached to all nations. That hasn't happened yet, but it will come to pass because Jesus said it will. So, we have this twofold sense of knowing that God's promises have come true, and we can read of promises that have come true, and there are still promises that are being fulfilled. And God will accomplish what He said He's going to accomplish because His promises are always true. Isaiah 49, 46, 9 through 10, says, God says, I am God, and there's none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, Listen to this, my counsel shall stand. And I will accomplish my purpose. What a verse. God God says, hey, what I say, it's going to stand. And I'm going to accomplish my purpose. What a great confidence that should give us as people who belong to God that we know He's going to accomplish what He said He's going to accomplish. Now, my promises may fail. Our promises fail. But God's promises never fail. I mean, I've had all all week long, I've had, for example... D came to me and he had these markers that I was supposed to get to Cindy. And he comes and he brings me these markers and says, This is for Cindy on Sunday. I said, Okay, great. And I set them down on my table. And he looked at me and he said, um, No, go, go put that in your bag because D's not here this morning. He goes, Go go put that in your bag. I'm like, oh, Okay. So I go pick it up and put him in my bag. And I come back and he goes, Now, did you zip your bag close? Something about me and my reliability makes D think he can't really trust me when I say, I'll get it to Cindy. All right? And my wife's done the same thing all week. She's been gone for three days, and she's constantly, now, did you remember to get the stuff to Kristen? Yes, Heather, I got it to Kristen. Well, did you, did you give her everything? Yes, I got it to Kristen. I did everything you said, you know, I was supposed to do. So I thought I was doing pretty good until this morning when I woke up at 7.25. And so please, don't tell Heather that I woke up at 7.25, and I got here without a diaper bag for Emma Kate. Please, y'all just keep that hush, All right, Because I was really doing good up until this morning. But me, okay. I'm reliable sometimes, I'm not reliable other times because I'm human and I'm frail and I fail. But God, like I said, God never misses his alarm clock. God's always on time. God's always doing what he said he's going to do, even when we don't quite understand his timing. And therefore we have to wait and to seek him. But we should trust in the infallibility of his word. His promises are true and therefore we can wait. Hebrews thirteen five. he says, Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have, for He has said, "I will never leave you nor forsake you." Therefore, we can wait for God to take care of our financial struggles that we find ourselves in. James one five says, any of you, "If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him." Therefore, we see that promise, and we can wait for God to show us how to handle the confusing dilemma that we face ourselves that we find ourselves facing. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. This was sent to me this week by a couple of people. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Know that, know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And therefore, we can wait for the fruit of our ministry labors. Ephesians three twenty through 21 says, Now to him... Who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And therefore we can wait for God to do his work in his church, in his timing, for his glory without getting frustrated. Because we trust in his promises. And it's promise after promise after promise after promise. And if we'll read the Word, guess what? Your prayer life has to be intimately connected to the Word of God because we have His promises and we're praying over His promises and we can trust He's going to do what He said He's going to do. You know, and I I struggle with that. What's the one song you sang today about rest? You know, salvation and something's found in rest or something. I just remember the word rest because I wasn't resting this morning. I was sitting here thinking, ah, you know, you know, you know I'm, a thousand things going through my mind. I, okay, did we do this? Did we do this? I mean, the guy back at the media table said I was clenching my coffee this morning. Okay? I, I think that's the product of getting up too late. All right? I'm clenching my coffee because I'm, I'm not resting. It doesn't matter how good the music is. It doesn't matter how well I preach. It doesn't matter how well the setup is. It doesn't matter because the things of God are not based on how well I perform. The things of God are based upon his promises that he's going to fulfill. And sometimes, in total, despite what we do, we might have the worst Sunday on the planet. And, you know, we could win the award, worst service of the planet today. That could happen. Today wasn't that bad, all right? But it can happen. And you know what? God could save a thousand souls like that. Because it's not about us, it's about Him and His promises that He's going to do what He said He's going to do. We can trust God's word, God's promises, they're infallible. And we can have faith in them because of the second thing, the invincibility of God's will. That that was almost my sermon title today. It's actually much cooler than what I chose. The infallibility of God's word and the invincibility of God's will. I like that. The invincibility of God's will. So let me go back to our our kids out here that are holding the promises. Y'all still got them? Ellie, Garrett, got your promise? All right what I want you to do, I've got two envelopes here. One says God's plans, which God's will is God's plans, what he's going to carry out. So God's plans, and I want you to put the promise down there in that envelope. It says God's plans. This one says man's plans. This would be my alarm clock and everything, okay? This is man's plans. I want you to put that promise down in there, and I want y'all to seal those. And parents, if you need to help them seal it, that would be fine. But just... uh. Seal those, uh, those big envelopes with the little envelope in them. Because what I don't want to see here, I'm trying to paint a picture for us that God's promises, we can trust in this. We can trust in this because God's promises are part of his will and his will is invincible. No one can change God's mind. No one can thwart God's will. It's not like God has a plan and all of a sudden goes, oh man, I didn't know. I did not know Mark was going to sing that song today. Boy, what are we going to do with Harbin's today? You know, I didn't know that. I mean, that's not how God works. He had a perfect plan. He has a perfect will. And so we can trust his word because his will, his plans are totally invincible. God had a plan from the get-go. You know, Judas was part of it. Judas wasn't a surprise to God. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 64. He says, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus, and this is what the Bible says, for Jesus knew from the beginning. Who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Now imagine that. He's choosing his, I mean, I've, I've run a really small company before where I've had a couple of employees, you know. And when you hire employees, you may, you know, hire three or four guys. And, and you know, one of them, you've, you've, you've checked it all out. You've checked resumes and everything. But one of them might turn out being a dud. You know, this guy just doesn't have a good work ethic. He's just not a very efficient worker. And he, so That, that happens. Uh, But Jesus here, he's sovereign. He knows the hearts of all men. And he chooses 12 disciples and he deliberately chooses one who he knows is going to betray him. Because it was part of God's plan from the very beginning. That betrayal was a fulfillment of Scripture. So we see here the infallibility of God's word. We see here the invincibility of God's will. And so these disciples can confidently say this. Okay, in verse 24, it says they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all people, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his place. By the way, that's a little euphemism. Basically, it means to go to hell. His place was hell. So Judas, who turned away to go to hell, and they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, what are lots? Let's talk a little bit about lots. Lots basically were stones, either marked or colored stones, that they would cast to try to, to make decisions. And so it would be like dice today. Okay? You know, hey, I roll double sixes, Matthias, you're in. Roll snake eyes, you know, um, justice, guy with two names, you're in. All right, Okay, that's kind of what they were doing, but they weren't relying on luck. They weren't just saying, oh, let's see how this turns out. Let's see how the the dice is cast. They weren't relying on luck. It says that they were asking the Lord. You, O Lord. They're speaking to Jesus here because they call Jesus Lord. You, O Lord. You know the hearts of men. And so then they cast the lots. And the lots fell on Matthias. Now, there's some biblical commentators that think that the disciples made a mistake here, that Paul was supposed to be the 12th apostle. Therefore, they should never have done this. But the passage doesn't give us that option. Because it says the disciples were praying to the Lord, said, God, you know the hearts of men. Okay, they were diligently in prayer. And if God, Jesus, had not wanted them to elect a 12th apostle, he would have told them. And he would have made it very clear. Now, this whole lots thing, why don't we use lots today? I talked about this a little bit when we did the Jonah series. Why don't we use lots today? Why aren't Roger and Deemer and I casting dice every, uh, every elder meeting? All right, let's see. All right, yeah, we, we really hadn't considered a, a ministry at petting zoos. But let's do it. All right. That's really cool. Okay. Um, You know, why are we not doing that? I I think it's very interesting that this is the last use of lots in all of Scripture. It's all throughout the Old Testament, and we see it here, because two verses from now, the disciples will be infilled with the Holy Spirit. And no longer do we cast lots to try to make decisions in life. When you've accepted Jesus Christ, when you've come under his rule and said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to rule in my life. Well then, the Holy Spirit comes to reside within us, and therefore decision making then becomes something we do by guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so we spend time in prayer, we spend time in His Word, and we let God's Holy Spirit lead us into make decisions. We don't cast lots anymore. But in this case, the disciples were okay to cast lots, and they also knew Proverbs sixteen thirty three, which says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The lot's cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from. The Lord. So our job here isn't to try to discern the hearts and motives of people. It isn't to try to come up with our perfect plan to, to, to solve our church problems or our community problems. Our job here as a church and as individuals is to trust in God, to trust in Him, to trust in His Word, to have faith that He's going to do what He said He's going to do and rely totally in Him to accomplish His will. It doesn't mean we don't work because we still got to be about the task. Remember, the disciples weren't idle. They were doing work. They, they, they knew they needed to do these things to fulfill the Scriptures, to replace Judas. And they didn't just sit back and go, oh, well, hopefully God will just put a sign in the sky that shows us who's supposed to replace Judas. They were doing what they needed to be doing, but they were trusting in God, and in His infallible Word, and in His invincible will. Isaiah 55, 11 says about God's Word, it says, "...it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose." And it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Which means that we have to just, with Job, say what Job said in Job 42, 2. I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So we've got our two envelopes back here, man's plans and, and God's plans. And what I want you to do, um, Ellie, is try to tear that. Just in the middle somewhere, like about right here. Something. Just try to rip that envelope in half. Can you do it? You sure did. All right, and you rip the promises in the meantime, okay? I want you to give it a shot, Garrett. Try to rip that thing, buddy. You're stronger than her, right? Whoa. Wait, is a girl stronger than you, buddy? All right, come on, rip it hard. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, you're not ripping it, are you? All right, can I see it for a second? All right, let me try. All right, here we go. You know what? I can't rip this, and neither can Garrett, and neither can you, Ellie. You can't rip this because it's a different type of envelope. It may look the same. It may look similar, but it's a different type of envelope. I have no idea what this is called, Mr. Office Products guy. Tyvek, thank you. This is a Tyvek envelope, okay? And I can't rip it because it's not supposed to be ripped. It's to protect what's on the inside. And so you know what? Our promises sometimes may seem like God's promises. Hey, buddy, I'll be there for you. I'll never leave you or forsake you, buddy. But you know what? We'll fail. God's promises are steadfast and secure in his will. And we know that nothing can rip God's will. Nothing can tear it away. And so we can trust that God's will, God's plans, and God's promises are so different than ours. And we know that he'll accomplish what he said he's going to accomplish. Okay, it doesn't all, always work out exactly the way we have planned, does it? I'll be honest with you. There hasn't been one single thing, maybe a couple, but not very many things that have worked out in Harbin's exactly the way I had planned. I cannot, I mean, I just can't wait till the day, I'll probably be like, like 80 or something, when I actually have time to write a book about Harbin's. Because it'll be a book that basically says, God is going to do everything his own way, so forget about everything you learned, alright? And so God just does things his own way. And, and, and it's hard to understand, and sometimes it's flat out frustrating, and sometimes it flat out hurts. Because it's not what we wanted. But God's doing things in his own way that's somewhat confusing sometimes. So our job is to wait and to pray because his promises are true and his will will be accomplished. That's the only way we can believe in Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, promotion and getting laid off. All things, family peace, family difficulty, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and have been called according to his purpose, okay? Like Mark just said, it's a mind-blowing concept, isn't it? Mark just went, all right, hope, keep that inside, all right? It's a mind-blowing concept. I, I've used this illustration before, probably with you guys like five times, so please forgive me. This piano up here has these little black keys on it. What are those keys, Caroline? The sharps and flats. Songs don't really sound good if they're only in sharps and flats. It sounds kind of, right? So you need those white keys. And those white keys, to me, kind of represent the good days in life, where everything's going exactly the way we like. Oh, that's pretty. And the other ones, the flats and the sharps, are the bad days in life. But you know what? A good composer will use it all. He'll use the sharps and the flats and the other white keys. I don't know what they're called, just normal keys. Anyway, and he'll use those pedal thingies and all that stuff. Obviously, I don't play the piano. And he'll compose it together, work all things together for what? For a masterpiece that in the end, everyone will applaud. God is working everything together in your life for his masterpiece. And everything together in our church, good and bad, for a masterpiece. So at the end of the ages, we'll all say, you are holy, God. You deserve all the praise. And you're in total, complete control. So that's kind of the end of the parentheses here. This parentheses that that is in between Acts chapter 1, verse 11, and then Acts chapter 2. And uh, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, Harbin's is kind of in a parentheses right now. Harvins is kind of in a parenthesis between what we see God doing out there and what's going on here and there's challenges and so we're kind of in this this parenthesis what do you do when you're in the parenthesis you do what we're going to do at 4 30 you wait on God and pray and ask him to do whatever he wants to do with Harvins. that's what you do when you're in the parenthesis so right now I want us to close with prayer you should bow your heads and close your eyes and I just want us to close with a word of prayer to Jesus. And if you're here this morning and uh, all this has just kind of been a bit confusing and overwhelming to you, then, God, then we just need to pray that God will, will open your heart to understand, first of all, what it means to even have a relationship with Christ. So let's pray real quick, and then we're going to have one more song, and then we'll close. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now. And God, we just thank you that you are a sovereign king. You reign on high. There's not a thing that surprises you. And God, uh, I just, I love that. Because life is filled with surprises for us, which makes life interesting. But for you, there's no surprises. You have a perfect plan, and you're orchestrating all things together for our good. Well, for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose, which means those who've submitted to Christ. So God, this morning I pray, Lord, there's anybody in this room that hasn't trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, haven't placed their faith in him, and haven't said, God, I want you to be boss of my life through Jesus. I recognize that Jesus died for my sins, and, and and I need him to rule my home, and to rule my family, and to rule my, my job, and to rule everything. God, I pray that if there's anyone in that situation this morning, Lord, that they would just take some time after the service, perhaps, to to talk to me, and, and we can talk about, you know, what the next step is, and, and pray about that. But God, there's others of us in here that are, our plans have just gone gone south. We had planned this, and we had planned that, and 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 God, you've, you haven't done what we planned. So God, help us to stop getting upset about our plans falling apart and start trusting you to handle things when we can't. We shouldn't be handling them anyway. So God, we ask now that you be with us. Lord, as we stand now to sing this song, God, let us pour out our hearts to you in praise. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.